peace and wholeness welcome back to another episode of the her holistic path podcast i am so excited because i've got some episodes coming up all about oxytocin fetal positioning exercises movement herbs nutrition the whole nine but before i get started into that series of basically how to prepare for a holistic birth i wanted to do an episode where i laid the groundwork a lot of preparing for your birth is not just physical but it's also mental it's psychological it's spiritual and i feel that that is oftentimes left out particularly the spiritual and the psychological cultural components so i'm starting off here with an episode that will be titled the uncomfortable truth about birth Oftentimes when I'm having prenatal visits, I'm realizing that, okay, it's not the simple information like, hey, you should drink raspberry, raspberry leaf tea and eat dates and walk and stretch. It's not that um, that I really need to focus on because that's simple stuff. But really, it's the unraveling of the psychological dysfunction that we have when it comes to existing in our own bodies and existing in this larger matrix and system and so I'm offering this as kind of a step one place to start if you are preparing yourself either for birth or if you're a birth worker and you are on the path of educating yourself so this is the uncomfortable truth about birth. I think we're on episode 16. <laughs> so this is, I think, the biggest, I don't know. I could probably say this about all of the <laughs> things that I have on this list. But I think this is the one that throws people for the loop, for a loop the most. Which is, we are in the unknown when it comes to pregnancy and birth. And that is not changed by how much technology we use in our birth. We are in the unknown no matter how much technology we use. If we have Dopplers to listen to fetal heart tones. If we have ultrasounds to actually physically see the baby. If we do internal exams and put in internal electronic fetal monitoring, it doesn't matter how many machi machines or devices or tests that you insert into your birthing journey, there will be a part of this process that will remain unknown. And there's nothing that we can do about it. We don't have a crystal ball that will let us know this is exactly what's happening with your body and your baby and exactly what's happening with your cervix and your uterus. And this is how your birth is going to play out. But for some reason, I think that a lot of people feel that the use of technology has created this sort of a crystal ball where it's like, OK, if I just do all of these interventions then that will guarantee a certain type of outcome medical interventions do not work like vitamins or vegetables or fruit the more medical interventions you have does not mean the better your birth outcome will be it's not like okay if i eat a bunch of fruit and vegetables i'll just be healthier <laughs> it's not how it works 
But I think a lot of people are under the impression that if I go to the hospital with all of the new gadgets and gizmos and technology, then the better. But we actually have evidence that shows for example, that electronic fetal monitoring, so the Doppler that they put on your belly, when we use that continuously throughout labor, it actually is creating a higher rate of cesareans, meaning the more that we use the technology, the more it is increasing the number of people who are having major abdominal surgery. Some people might say, well, that's because they're catching more problems. But again, the evidence does not show that. What it does show is that there is an increase in false positives. And that a lot of times what's happening is there is these different ratings that you can have when you're looking at a... um, fetal monitor uh, graph or the data that the machine is putting out in the hospital. And there's like a, I can't remember the language for it. There's like a category one where everything is fine. There's a category three where it looks really bad and someone should definitely go in for emergency cesarean. And then there's like a two, which is in the middle And that's where there's this big gray area. And I'll link a article down in the description box, a really good article actually by a doctor who has openly admitted like there's a lot of false positives, meaning a lot of people are going to get a cesarean and don't need one. Their baby was totally fine. The baby's heart rate was fine. But because of the way the machine puts out this graph and this data and these variabilities in the in the chart it can be difficult to assess is this an issue or is it not and what we found is that when we put the electronal fetal monitor on for 15 minutes and then we take it off for an hour which is called intermittent monitoring we have better outcomes meaning there's not a dip in healthy mothers and babies, right? So it's not like there's more issues happening by taking the Doppler off. But then on top of that, we have a decrease in unnecessary cesareans. So that's a good example to show that technology is not something that is something that works like just the more the better. And I actually want to pull up an article. And this is a Cochrane research team that combined the results of 12 randomized controlled trials with more than 37,000 participants. Mothers were randomly assigned to receive either continuous EFM or hands-on listening, which is basically what I described when you have the Doppler on for a certain amount of time and then you take it off, which if you're talking about Home birth and midwifery, it's slightly different, but they seem to have it in a same category for this study. The researchers found no differences between groups in APGAR scores, rates of low oxygen brain damage, admission to the neonatal intensive care unit, stillbirth, and newborn death. Meaning, again, (laughs) when we decrease the amount of time that we're using the fetal monitor it did not have a negative impact 
And this is an uncomfortable truth because I think that we have given ourselves permission to to have this reliability on technology and feel like, well, it's a computer. It it is not going to it is not going to make a mistake, right? But we fail to realize that it is humans on the other side of that computer who have to determine what the information they're looking at actually means. You birth the way you live. So this goes for physically and psychologically. But of course, we'll start with the physical first because that's just much easier (laughs) to understand. But it really can be frustrating as a birth worker when I see people who are just trying to whip themselves into shape in less than nine months because they're pregnant. What I hope is that not just women, everyone, but, you know, we're talking about women are encouraged to live healthy lifestyles so that when they become pregnant, it doesn't become this race to the finish line of like, how quickly can I get myself healthy? When we look at issues with like preeclampsia and gestational diabetes and um, I'm trying to think of another one, even when it comes to like a lot of discomfort and pain in pregnancy, A lot of that has to do with like not having a lifestyle where you are active. It's not always that, right? There's a lot more complexity to our anatomy. Um, But I know that I've worked with people where it's just like some people are not active before pregnancy. And so becoming pregnant really begins to strain the body and causes a lot of discomfort. So if you are already feeding yourself good food if you have some sort of a psychological or spiritual um, routine where you are on a consistent basis kind of like recalibrating yourself if you're getting outside if you're socializing if you're getting out in the sun then you're setting yourself up to be in a healthy body and have a healthy pregnancy but if you're living a life where you're really stressed out, you're eating horrible food, um, you're not really in a good psychological standing, then that's going to definitely impact your pregnancy because that's a whole lot to undo in nine months. And then from the psychological perspective, and we're going to kind of take a turn here, But I think a lot of people are choosing to birth within the system and subsequently being traumatized by that system, violated and just acquiescing to things that they don't want to do and don't want to participate in. I think that's happening at such high rates because from a very young age, we are conditioned to acquiesce to all of these other systems. You are extremely young when you start school and you are taught you go here, you put your bag here, you sit down here, you do this work, you don't talk, you raise your hand, you ask to go to the bathroom. And then when this bell rings, then you're allowed to get up. You can only go outside for this amount of time. And I'm not 
dogging people who send their kids to school because I send my kids to school. But I also can acknowledge the fact that this is really a lot of conditioning to acquiesce to a system that is promoting essentially (laughs) yeah we're taking a turn here it's promoting us to be docile domesticated animals and I actually recently was watching this podcast about the school system and I learned that apparently Rockefeller was a huge part of creating the school system that we know it where we don't have these tiny little schoolhouses and it's not, you know, just like almost like a family oriented kind of feel. It's like these massively big, huge schools with hundreds of kids and like one teacher to so many kids. And he actually had a hand in like he donated a lot of money, I think, to the um, I can't remember the, the board of something like the general education board or something like that. Um And so, therefore, he had a big influence on how the schools were, like, built and what they taught. But we see this outside the school system, too. We see this within how we're taught from a young age, like, about police. And I don't think many, like, middle school age children have any confusion about who the police are and, like, When a police comes around, you have to listen to them, right? Because we're conditioned from a very young age. These are the people and places that you have to obey and and somewhat be like submissive to. The hospital is definitely one of those places. For one, we can just look at how the hospital, the way it is physically built, big, tall building, lots of different rooms, Um, everyone's in a uniform. When you come in, you have to get in a uniform. That sounds like a school. Also sounds like a prison. Also sounds like a place you would work, like a place you would have a job. So again, just another replication of these systems that we are taught to just listen to. And a lot of times when I'm talking to moms and I'm explaining We're having this conversation about autonomy and I'm telling them you're allowed to decline medical interventions and request them. You're allowed to decline um, working with a certain medical provider and they're looking at me wide eyed like what? I didn't know I could say no. I didn't know I could not get something done. I thought I just had to do it. It's mind boggling how many women are literally being raped violated um and I use that word specifically because I have seen with my own eyeballs someone put their hand in someone's vagina and they were screaming stop stop no stop and outside of physically using my body to stop them which I'm a tiny person Not a lot can be done in that situation, but I think we get to that point because so, so many people are just literally laying down and saying like, okay, I'll do this thing that I don't want to do. So I think that if you live a life (laughs) where you are typically either acquiescing to the system at large, right, then you're going to continue to do that. 
If you're living a life where you're typically questioning things like, why do we have to do do this? I don't want to do that. Is there a different option? Then it's more likely you'll bring that same energy into your birthing space. But this runs deep, so deep that I've met people that present as very like assertive and forthright and like connected to themselves and connected to their power. But in the birth space, it's like they revert back to this childlike submission. Of course, this also has to do with just the general intensity of being in labor and how deep the feminine energy of labor is. It can, of course, put you in a state to just kind of want to go with the flow. And no one really wants to be combative during their labor, so I will acknowledge that. But it's about the choices that we make beforehand. I've had a lot of conversations with clients where I'm like, you know, you're expressing a lot of things that make it sound like you don't want to use this provider or you don't want to use this hospital. Are you aware of that? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I guess. And it's almost like they feel like they need permission to say like, I don't want to bring my body into this space with this person that I feel uncomfortable with, which makes sense because we often ask women to bring their bodies into spaces with other people that they feel uncomfortable with and do things with their body that they feel uncomfortable doing. That is a cultural normalcy that we tend to have in this country. Moving on to the next uncomfortable truth. This feels odd, but once I explain it, I think it'll make more sense. Support is everything. Now, at first, that doesn't feel like an uncomfortable truth because it's like, yeah, we love support. We want support. We want family and friends and birth workers and childbirth education classes. We want all the support we can get. Yes, support is everything. We love support. It's great. Until you don't have it. And that's the uncomfortable part is that so many people in this country do not have support. I can tell you firsthand. There's so many times where I finish working with a client and I'm so sad to walk out the door because I'm like, you literally have nobody here. You spend the majority of the day alone. You have your one husband that comes back at the end of the day and they have to go to bed. So they can get ready for the next day and then you're back by yourself again. Or the people that they do have is limited or the people that they do have don't agree with how they're raising their child. And therefore, they can't get a lot of support. And so that's why it's uncomfortable because it's like we are communal creatures. We are designed. We are designed to need help after we have a baby. Right. I think that's kind of the whole like design is that when a new soul portals through into this physical realm, this mother, it's not like she's like disabled or something like that or disempowered. She she can a lot of people after they have a natural birth can like spring up and go for a walk and they feel great and amazing. That's not the thing. It's. One person alone is going to be exhausted taking care of a baby by themselves. 
constantly getting up at night, constantly holding the baby, feeding the baby, not really, not really being able to put the baby down and like take care of themselves. It's incredibly hard to cook a dinner when a baby is in your arms or clean or clean yourself, right? So to me, it makes sense that by design, universe is like when we bring a new person in, we want the community to inch closer. We want the family to inch closer. So by design, she needs help. So that way we have this tightening of the family fabric. But instead, most people are left alone. My next uncomfortable truth is that to be your wild feminine self is a crime. And I'm actually... mm, I'm actually saying this with a really heavy heart today. Because recently, there is a story um, that's been publicized about a mother well, a family a mom and a dad in Texas who had after a home birth they had um their baby forcibly removed from them by CPS because when they took the baby to see the pediatrician the doctor told them your baby has jaundice and I think you need to take the baby to the NICU And they essentially responded saying, well, we have a midwife who is medically licensed and we want to go ahead and just work with her to address the jaundice. And from my understanding, the doctor verbally said, "Okay, I'm going to release you to the care of your midwife. But then a few days later, CPS showed up at the door, arrested the father, physically took away the baby and... Right now, I believe it's day 11, day 10 or 11, that they have been without their baby. All because this doctor, all because this doctor called CPS and could not fathom, I guess, allowing a mother and a father to make their own choice for what they wanted to do with their child with another licensed medical practitioner to help them it is heartbreaking it's infuriating it's frustrating and my heart is just going out to them I have posted a little bit of information on my page and in my stories if you're listening to this like close to the time that I'm putting it out but it's such an example of how it is literally like I think sometimes people, I think sometimes I listen to myself and I'm like, Olivia, are you being a little melodramatic when you do these podcasts and like use certain language? But I'm like, well, no, because literally this woman had a home birth. She wanted to treat her baby's jaundice with through the care of her midwife, which who's to say they wouldn't have eventually gone to the hospital? The mom just simply said, we are going to defer to our midwife. We don't even know what that plan. It could have been a very solid plan. But her making that choice 
she was reprimanded and we can easily see in this example how closely connected these systems are and this is what i mean when i say that we are conditioned to acquiesce to these systems and i'm not talking about this mom at this point i'm talking about the collective but these systems are not here to serve us we often i think are divided because we find a lot of good people working in these systems but just because there's good people in them does not mean the system itself is good. And now this woman is without her newborn baby. And, you know, the updates on this family are just so <laughs> difficult to process and difficult to feel like, is this really real? You can look at these two parents and see that they're good parents. No one plans a home birth, hires a midwife and a doula and does all of this to be a negligent parent. I'm going to I'm going to move on to the other points under this section. So I, this does not become like a just angry rant. But some other examples of how to be just your wild feminine self is a crime. And how we have actively suppressed that in women. Even though now we have all these male podcasters barking about women not being feminine enough. But it's like you guys won't do the work to actually make femininity not criminal. But some other examples we can see in our society is the demonizing of attachment parenting. Or I'll call it attachment mothering. We are oftentimes telling women to put their babies down. Don't pick that baby up too much. You're going to spoil that baby. So the idea of wearing your baby, like in a wrap or in a carrier, is something that a lot of people don't do. Or just the simple idea of breastfeeding. For years now, this country has demonized breastfeeding. We feel like... Oh, it's far better to, or it just makes more sense to give your baby something that has a label on it. And we can measure all the ingredients and babies don't get enough from breastfeeding and all these other ridiculous things that science itself is like, that's not true. Having a wild pregnancy and birth is criminal, meaning I know other Women have experienced CPS cases if they have a home birth without a midwife. Our personal opinions about this, I don't think should matter because for so long in human history, we have birthed in community, either with midwives or on our own alone. But I have seen people who have gotten CPS cases opened for this very thing. A lot of times our intuition, the ebbs and flows of our hormonal cycles are not acknowledged. Even just the simple fact that there are women every day who are going to work sitting in their blood in a pad because we cannot collectively recognize that women should be able to just get a break when we're on our cycles. I'm not saying we should be forced and like ostracized out of the community. 
But the fact that we're expected to just power through and show up every single day and there's no acknowledgement to the ebbs and flows of our internal state of being, it makes me it makes these conversations online on YouTube in different podcasts about femininity. It makes it laughable because I'm like, until y'all start doing the work to figure out how can we get women more in tune with their flow and stop forcing them to show up every day, day in and day out and disregard how their body feels. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to hear it. I want to hear nothing about women not being feminine enough. Okay, so moving into the next uncomfortable truth, which is actually very, very uncomfortable. We're going to talk about pregnancy loss. Um, yeah, if this is something that you want to hear, sit with it. If you're not in a place, because I totally respect the fact that women do have to keep moving throughout this world. And a lot of times we can't stop and cry. We can't stop and fall apart. We have to just keep going. We have to keep it together. And so I do want to acknowledge the fact that if you're not in a place to sit with some big and heavy emotions that might come up, then I must say you could probably skip like five minutes ahead. I think that's probably how long it'll take me to talk about this part. So... There's a very distinct energy when you go to a birth. It's a kind of energy that I struggle to describe. I don't think I've ever felt anything similar to that anywhere else. But it is simply that you are standing at a portal. And... The thing about this portal, the birth portal, is that it is very much a doorway. We like to focus on what's coming out of this portal, but it is very difficult for us to acknowledge that sometimes a physical body will come through this portal, but a spirit will not. And that is simply the nature of birth. There is no guaranteed outcome for anybody's birth. And knowing that and witnessing that is a very humbling experience. To put it plainly and simply... I think it's very difficult for us to acknowledge that when we step into that space of a woman opening up her body, opening up her psyche and her spirit to allow a baby to pass through, death is at that doorway as well. Not in the sense of like some type of like grim reaper, but in the sense that 
On the other side of that door is wherever the baby is coming from. And for whatever reasons, physical, spiritual, otherworldly, cosmically, some spirits don't make that choice to come through that doorway. And you can take this language literally. Um, You can take this language figuratively. But I do believe that (coughs) our resistance, our extreme resistance to this inevitable, inevitable possibility can and has created an overcompensation. And I welcome and completely like am okay with people disagreeing with what I'm saying about this. That's fine. I'm not saying this for people to agree with me. But I think that when we when we are in such resistance, when we don't accept the fact that Death is something that is guaranteed. We just don't know when. When we struggle to accept that that also is applicable to the birth space. We end up overcompensating out of fear. Which can lead to what we're seeing today. Which is an overmedicalization of the birthing process. Because when you look at. A lot of the practices being done in the hospital that are not evidence-based, meaning things that they are doing that we know, common sense, but we also now have the data to show and prove that this is not helping us to have better birth outcomes. When you ask, well, why are we still doing it? The answer that you'll get from people is, you know, to keep the mom safe or to keep the baby safe or to make things safer. So even when we don't have the information to actually back that up, that's the rhetoric we're using to justify a lot of things. And there's actually a very interesting video on the YouTube channel after school that talks about menticide and how essentially when you want to control a group of people, you use waves of fear or waves of terror. And it will kind of cause like this mass psychosis And under this mass psychosis, you can essentially control people and tell them anything because they're in a deep fear response. So basically, instead of using like meditation or hypnosis, you're using fear to access their subconscious mind and reprogram them for whatever you want. I think watching that video can help put into context how fear mongering 
really has gotten us to the place that we are when it comes to birth. That plus a lot of other things, right? Like the racial history of this country, monopolizing birth in order to make money. It's a lot of different components, but that's one of the things that I think should be taken into account. But what's interesting about acknowledging death is that for many years and even up until now, hospitals have not been safe places because of doctors that were literally and are literally causing death. There's a term called iatrogenic, which basically explains how you can acquire a disease or like a medical issue just by being like in a hospital or like a medical provider can cause a problem that they will then have to solve. We can see this currently when it comes to the black maternal mortality crisis where women are saying, hey, I'm in pain. Hey, I think I'm hemorrhaging. Hey, something's not right here. Somebody look at me. And because they're sitting in a hospital with people that are ignoring them and have implicit bias, then these people a lot of times are losing their lives or experiencing like really severe medical emergencies, a near miss when they shouldn't have to. But I'll give you a historical example of how fear and death and hospitals and doctors have commingled, right, and coalesced into the situations that we see today. So back in the mid-1800s, doctors had successfully campaigned to convince women to stop using those dirty, old, stupid midwives. Come to a nice, clean hospital where you can get a, you know, your own bed and a nice, affluent white doctor, you know. And <laughs> I'm being facetious here, but that is, they actually did campaign for that. Um, and use, like, flyers and, like, you know, the same way that we have media, they had media, Um, Of their own kind back in the mid 1800s. So at this time. Women were beginning to really use hospitals. More frequently at higher rates. And there was something called childbed fever. That basically became an epidemic. There were women giving birth on a Tuesday. And literally dying on a Thursday of childbed fever. And doctors could not figure out why. Now, when you look this story up, what you'll find out is that eventually there was a doctor that died of childbed fever, which was like, whoa, the doctors didn't, the other doctors didn't know like a man could die from it. So his colleague, his friend, which I believe his name was, I'm not going to pronounce this right, Inaz Semmelweis. He did an autopsy on his doctor friend and he saw the same kind of pus that was building up in these women who were dying was in his friend. 
So he's like, okay, he died from the same thing, but how? Because he didn't just have a baby. And through a series of kind of like trial and error, trying different things out, continuing to just like observe, he realized, oh, the same doctors that are working down in the morgue who are handling the women who have died from childbed fever are coming upstairs and doing like vaginal exams on the women who are giving birth. And that's how it's spreading. At that time, of course, they didn't understand or have germ theory. So then he went on to say, like, okay, we're going to, like, basically, like, bleach everybody's hands before you come up from the morgue. And that's how they stopped it. But this was a very good example of how, an example of so many things, but our fear, our collective fear that they use, like, to get women into the hospital was the driving force that ultimately killed a lot of women because if those women just went on to use a midwife like they were midwives didn't deal with the epidemic of childbed fever and i'm not trying to glorify midwives and villainize doctors that's not the point the larger point is that a lot of people think that we switched from home birth and midwifery to hospital birth and obstetrics because it's just safer no it was just racism in making money and monopolizing. But I think this is a good example for us to see how fear can lead to making a decision that isn't really based in reality and then have this negative outcome. Another kind of, actually, no, I think I'm going to, save that for the next part okay we're gonna move on from that section so if you skipped ahead hey we are going to the next topic birth cannot be predicted or controlled point blank period I think from (laughs) what I was just talking about we can see how there's serious repercussions for thinking oh we can control birth we can control and predict everything that's going to happen. But oftentimes, the more that we try to do that, the more problems that we cause. And I want to kind of take a second to just acknowledge another historical moment that happened that really had a lot to do with us trying to predict and control the birthing process. So back in the early 1900s, the quote-unquote father of obstetrics, Joseph DeLee, created something called the prophylactic forceps operation, which consisted of many things, some of which um, giving all the women that came into the hospital drugs to either make them unconscious or numb them out or both, Um, tying them down to beds, giving everybody an episiotomy, giving everyone forceps delivery, which if you're doing forceps and the mom is like drugged up and she's tied down 
and there's like no acknowledgement of the process of labor. It makes sense that they were giving everyone episiotomies. And this operation, he felt like was the best way to deliver babies. He's quoted, he's quoted as talking about how birth is naturally destructive and it's impossible for a woman to give birth without like serious consequences to her health. Basically, I'm paraphrasing here. But pathological in nature is what this man believed. And he is noted as the father of obstetrics. In his idea, the prophylactic forceps operation set the standard because what happened is it was this moment in time where his idea coalesced with kind of the influences of the Industrial Revolution where we have people funding hospitals in order to make them more similar to factories there was actually something called the flexner report that came out that basically said this was in the early 1900s as well they basically said you guys are not doing a good job as doctors you need to get better because these rates are not good and even what's mind-blowing is that joseph delee like he didn't say this publicly but in his writings, like in his letters, he was writing to a journalist and he was admitting to this journalist that like, yeah, actually the rates of like outcomes, birth outcomes that we're seeing in the hospital are actually like not that good. And I really don't think everyone should be hospitalized and going to the hospital. Like, is that not crazy? That this is the father of obstetrics. This is the person who has influenced us to have labor and delivery units that have all of these standard protocols and standard practices where it's like everybody comes in, everybody puts this on, everyone gets an IV drip, everyone gets this exam and triage, then everyone goes here, everyone gets treated the same. Even down to everyone giving birth on their back. How mind-blowing was it for me to realize that <clears throat> present day, women are not being told to get on their back because doctors think that's like better or safer. They're being told to get on their back mainly because when you look at the bed, there's a trash bag hanging at the end of every bed in L&D so when the mother is pushing and the baby emerges and the amniotic fluid and the placenta and the blood and the afterbirth is coming out it's sliding down into this trash bag which then makes it extremely easy to clean up and get ready for the next person because this is just like a factory we got to get them in get them out get them in get them out which is partially attributed to the baby boom and them having to figure out ways to rapidly, you know, deliver a lot more babies than they were used to. But there's all these different, and this is why I say this is like the foundational episode that I'm starting with, because it's like, before I can ask you the question, are you considering home birth or hospital birth? I would love for you to sit down and consider 
all of the different components to how we got to hospital birth and why it looks the way it does now. And just in general, how what I think is also missing when it comes to these conversations about hospitals is that a lot of the people who started these movements of like getting birth into hospitals, getting midwifery and and midwives out of the picture and replacing them with obstetrics, with obstetricians, um, a lot of that was done in a period of time where people were still extremely racist and sexist. <laughs> so even as a white woman, there was still this feeling of like, well, you're a woman. You're going to do whatever we tell you to do because we're men. And that is also infused into the system. It is infused into the way things have morphed. So this is a good time to let everyone know that I am doing birth planning sessions. So if you listen to this podcast pretty often and you're feeling like, wow, this is a lot of good information, I like it, and you are trying to plan out your birth, you can go down to the description box and click the link. When you have that birth planning session with me, we're going to talk about the physical, the psychological, the emotional, the spiritual, the logistics, and you'll also get a copy of my holistic birth guide, which is all about like comfort measures and things you can do during your birth so that you don't have to commit everything to memory or your partner doesn't have to commit everything to memory. Okay. All in all, I think what we can see quite clearly through this episode and looking at all these different things is that birth has belief systems. We are no longer living in a time where everyone gave birth at home, everyone trusted their local midwife, everyone trusted the ebbs and flows of their body, and what was meant for them during that birth process. We're not living in that time anymore. We're living in a time where there's all these different options and all of these different schools of thoughts and ways of thinking. And so therefore women are put in a position where they have to choose, what do I believe in? Because ultimately... What you don't know, you have to choose to believe. And so there's people who believe that birth is beautiful and blissful and cosmic and a rites of passage. And then there are people who believe that birth is extremely painful and purposefully, well, unpurposefully (laughs) uncomfortable and should be numbed out as much as possible. There's some people who are extremely 
afraid of birth and want to control it and predict it as much as possible. But for most, but for most of us, we are somewhere in between. I think what's most relevant and necessary on the birthing journey or leading up to the birthing journey is not to necessarily attach yourself to the value of any of these belief systems to say, well, it's good to think this about birth and it's bad to want to do a home birth. Not to attach to any of the belief systems, but just to do the work to recognize where you are on the spectrum because that will serve you so much better. And I also want to say that to, you know, anyone who has listened to this episode and felt like, oh, like she is saying something ridiculous or dangerous or not good. I think this is a good moment to just acknowledge It's probably much more beneficial for you to understand yourself and where you are than to judge the entire spectrum itself. So that is the uncomfortable truth about birth. I hope that this episode was informative and brought up some things for you that were worth thinking about in your own time. And just with a little bit of medicine for you on your journey. I absolutely love to know how this is landing for people. So you can go over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. Um, I super duper love the kind where people actually write something out. So I can know <laughs> Um kind of what direction I want to keep going in as far as what's helpful, what's not helpful, things of that nature. And when you leave a review, please, please, please leave your Instagram handle so I can tell you thank you because I can't respond on the actual Apple podcast app. All right. Next episode coming up. I'm actually not sure which one (laughs) is coming up next. Because I have to go and see which one is like closest to being finished as far as editing. Oh, and I am looking for an intern. So if you're like in the DMV area, then please, if you're interested, let me know. I will probably announce something on my Instagram. But yeah, definitely let me know. All right. I'm going to let you get to the rest of your day. Sending you love. Wishing you peace. Until next time, bye. I hope that this episode was informative and brought up some things for you that were worth thinking about in your own time and just with a little bit of medicine for you on your journey. I absolutely love to know how this is landing for people so you can go over to apple Podcasts and leave me a review um i super duper love the kind where people actually write something out so i can know (laughs) um kind of what direction i want to keep going in as far as what's helpful what's not helpful things of that nature and when you leave a review 
please, please, please leave your Instagram handle so I can tell you thank you because I can't respond on the actual Apple podcast app. All right. Next episode coming up. I'm actually not sure which one (laughs) is coming up next because I have to go and see which one is like closest to being finished as far as editing. Oh, and I am looking for an intern. So if you're like in the DMV area, then please, if you're interested, let me know. I will probably announce something on my Instagram, but yeah, definitely let me know. All right. I'm going to let you get to the rest of your day. Sending you love, wishing you peace. Until next time, bye.